I said a few weeks ago, I, I've heard this phrase. The phrase that many people underestimate, actually they overestimate what God wants to do immediately. Listen, not that, not that he can't. He can. He can perform the supernatural, the miraculous, the momentary, out of darkness, into light. He can do that. He has done that. But many people overestimate what God wants to do with initial obedience. And they underestimate what God wants to do with a lifetime of obedience. I, may I just present to you that if you don't have a lifetime of obedience, you probably need to go back and reevaluate your initial obedience. If you can't look at your life and go, man, this thing is fully surrendered to God. I think that's why James is writing the way that he writes. And I got to be honest, I like it. Some of y'all are like, yeah, me too. Smack me around. Step on my feet. That's why I came. Some of you are like, he's so aggressive. <laughs> and that's why we try to mix it up. Because we see a lot of different personalities in Scripture. James chapter 4 is one of those chapters in the Bible. It is, it is absolutely chalked full of memory verses. And this is a 30-second side note. You should have memory verses. What the Sunday school have we gone? If you don't, then your children are going to learn more about the Word of God than you, and you're not going to be able to answer their questions. We should not be learning the Word of God as children and be content to stop learning the Word of God as children. Come on, if it's good for them, it's good for me. If you need help learning the Word of God, then I'm going to help you by encouraging you to try to learn one verse a week. Well, I can't learn. I can't. I just can't. I've tried. No, you haven't. If you have that mentality, come talk to me after service. I want to bless you. I mean, help you. <laughs> you can. You can learn what you want to learn, especially the Word of God, because you were actually created to learn the Word of God. You take one verse, one verse that stands out to you, and you meditate on it every single day. Write it on your mirror while you paint your face. You got to look through the Word of God to see yourself. Come on, somebody. Write it on a card, put it in your pocket, save it as your home screen. Read it over and over again while you're getting, well, what's that going to do? Don't underestimate what God can do with a lifetime of obedience. You learn one, week, one verse a week, you learn 52 in a year. Could you imagine how much stronger you would be when the enemy attacks if you had 52 verses to spat in his face in that moment where you need those verses? Learning the Word of God. James chapter 4, here's one of those verses. It's actually taken out of context. It's like the verse that every unbeliever, every atheist, and every person that can't stand Jesus or his people knows. You know that verse? No, it doesn't matter. They don't know another verse in the Bible. Ain't never even opened the Bible, but they know. Judge not, lest you be judged. Isn't it interesting that they're judging me for making a judgment and telling me not to judge? Anyways, this is kind of like one of those. I don't have time to explain the rest of that. But this is like one of those. This is a verse. It's not just taken out of context. 
it's a piece of the verse taken out of the verse. And it goes, you have not, King James Version, shout out, because you ask not. Well, you know, you have not because you ask not. Let's look at the context of this verse that I have actually heard preached as an opportunity for us to try to force God's hand in something that we want. James chapter 4, verse 1. Please remember that James has existed for a long time, and I am just reading to you today. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Verse 2. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. Some of you are like, whew, not me. I've never murdered anyone. Really? Who'd you share your faith with last week? Not me. I've never murdered someone. Really? Who's at church with you today? <laughs> See, some of you like this. Some of you are like, he's so aggressive. I told you he's so aggressive. See, because when we don't share our faith, when we don't invite somebody along in our journey, when we're content to just barely show up for services, but we don't really disciple anybody our entire Christian life, when we don't give above and beyond, above and beyond just what is requested, when we don't serve, when we don't pray with people in public, when we don't offer a helping hand, we murder somebody spiritually. When we miss the opportunity, see, we're all guilty we need to stop letting ourselves off the hook just as much as we need to stop walking around with this beat up, woe is me mentality like I can never please a father that loves me more than I could ever love myself. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Oh, look, the context. And you do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. You want to spend it on your own passions. I, I think God will help you pay off your debt. I just don't think he wants to help you continue in it. You go back and watch it on a live feed. Verse 4. You adulterous people. Man, James, he's so mean. I like him. I'm not an adulterer. Oh, really? You didn't cheat on Jesus before you got married? You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then verse 5 is actually not on the screen, but he basically says, did you know that God is actually really jealous of the spirit that he has placed inside of you? He's jealous. He jealously yearns, the Bible says, for, for communion and relationship with that spirit that he has placed inside of you. I remember talking about just tenure and, and loyalty and longevity. When Megan and I were at Broadmoor Assembly of God in Shreveport before it 
Uh, the name was changed to Gateway, and that's what it is to this day. Pastor Johnny and April Hunt were on staff there. They were there. Pastor Weston was raised up in their youth group. Like our, our executive student connections pastor is a byproduct of the ministry of Johnny and April Hunt. Hey, he, he by the way, is in Tanzania, Africa today. I don't know which city. Um, Tanzania is a country. Africa is a continent. It's not actually a country. It's a continent. Just, just trying to help some people. And uh, he's in Tanzania. They, they are eight hours ahead of us. So uh, he has already been in multiple services today. They actually went around and served in some churches um, earlier in their day. And Pastor Weston is actually going to preach later this week to a room full of pastors gathering for a pastor's conference, Assembly of God Pastors, a pastor's conference. How cool is that, right? Yeah, good for him. All We're here, you know, serving and doing. Hey, I, I think that's really cool. The reason I throw that in real quick is because you helped him go. When you give and we take a tithe of what you give and we put it in our missions fund and we can't spend it in this house because we're not going to ask you to do something we're not willing to do ourselves, privately and corporately, we were able to allocate thousands of dollars out of that fund to get him over there. So today, like this week, you're going to equip Assembly of God pastors in Tanzania to continue to pastor churches across that area. Pastor Johnny and April Hunt, a lifetime of obedience. Megan and I came in at the end of their ministry, and I remember the students would come up to the front, and they would worship. Like Sunday morning, students would come up. They'd just leave their parents and come up to the front of the church, kind of like our student, students did a couple of Wednesday nights ago. They, they just got out of their chairs, and they came up to the front, and all the adults were like, man, that's, what are they doing? Oh, wow, they're worshiping. And I, and I remember this dad. I, rem, I heard this story from his mouth. He said, I looked up, and I saw my son in the front of the church worshiping, and he said, I was so proud but then I heard God say, why don't you do that? And then, this one's worse. Because he didn't learn that from you. See, we don't reproduce who we want to be. We reproduce who we are. And he heard that examination. You know what he did? He began to worship. Because you don't need to be seen worshiping. Or I'm sorry, you don't need to worship to be seen, but you need to be seen worshiping. It's an expression of who God is to you. It's an examination. And so today, because of this passage, man, why are my prayer requests not answered? Why, why does it seem like my shouts aren't getting past the ceiling? Come on, my cries aren't getting past the clouds. Why does it seem like that happens? Let me give you today three questions to ask yourself when you're asking God something. Three questions to ask yourself whenever you're asking something of God. Number one, what's my motive? Remember James said you have not because you ask wrongly or you ask with the wrong motive. You, you, you just want to spend it on yourself. You, you just want to take care of you. And I can show you this, especially in the charismatic circles, and I'm, I'm almost so overly cautious of this that, that I became a little bit begrudging towards it at times. 
I have seen people take how Jesus wanted to reveal himself. Hey, listen, I believe that he was Jehovah Rapha, the healer in the Old Testament. I believe he still is Jehovah Rapha, the healer in the New Testament. Jesus was and is and shall forever be. Come on, by his stripes, we can still pray for healing because he was crushed and bruised for me on my behalf. Come on, he took up my infirmities. He bore my diseases. We still believe he he is the healer. However, that's how he wanted to reveal himself to the world. And the church has taken that and tried to use it as an opportunity for them to never have to go through anything hard. And the, ch- the church has taken that and, caught, and, and turned it into a self-serving, self-feeding program that if God doesn't answer our prayer in that manner, then we question whether he even exists. And Jesus never intended for his people to question him in that behalf. And by the way, he never intended for us to not have to go through anything. What's my motive? Now listen, today... I. I understand that there are stories in this room that go way beyond my ability to communicate in the next 25 minutes. So today, I'm going to steer away from like divine healing and or miracles, signs and wonders because James actually deals with that in chapter five. And I just wanna steer back towards these relational requests that we have with Jesus. And by the way, that's how we pray. Man, I don't know how to pray. Okay, do you know how to listen? No, not really. Okay, do you know how to talk? Yeah, probably more than I should. Let's start there. Because prayer is really at its basis just a conversation with your heavenly father. Giving, speaking, and receiving, and listening. What's my motive? I thought of, and this might not happen in your house. I'm sure it doesn't. But in our house, Um, sometimes, as precious as they are, sometimes our children forget who they're talking to. (laughs) Some parents have children in the room. (laughs) Been preaching my guts out for four months, and it's the first clap I've gotten recently. (laughs) But sometimes they forget, like my oldest, and, and she was, she's going to be in third service, I'll say it again. The other day, I was picking with her and playing, and she was like, bruh, and I was like, hold up. <laughs> I was, bruh, and I was like, whoa, 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 hey, time out, time out, look, so I know you're just playing, but I ain't your bruh. <laughs> My name is Daddy. You don't even need to know my first name. I'm not Dad. I'm not Hey. I heaven sure ain't bruh. It's just, I wasn't really calling you that. I was just like saying it as if I was like, no, no, no. You were directing that at me. And I don't want you to make that mistake when, like, I'm actually getting on to you. Because if you, like, look at your mama and say something like that, I can't promise you. You're going to get Germaned. That's what's going to (laughs) happen. That's what's going to happen. 
she didn't mean anything by it, you know. But, and I've had to correct you know, even the little one, as sweet as he is, as much as he loves his mama, little mama's boy, he's just precious. But sometimes, like, hey, bro, who are you, who are you talking to? Because <laughs> I know you ain't talking to my wife like that. <laughs> and, and immediately, right? It's a correction. Why? Because he's scared? No, because we have relationship. And he, under, he understands that there is a way to address, there's a reverency that is required for this relationship. And however, at the same time, there is a confidence that should be had in this relationship. And I need to remind them sometimes, hey, who you're, remember who you're speaking to. What's your motive? Hey, parents, grandparents, I need to say this quickly because if I'm not careful, can I first of all just admit, I have whipped my children less, than, less times like then I can count on my hands, all three, because I don't have to, because I know I will. <laughs> that's, that's one. I'm telling you, though, and this is regard to any relationship, you have to love harder than you correct. This is pivotal. Or you won't create anything but a bunch of military responders that rebel as soon as they get out from underneath your authority. You have to love harder than you correct. And when it comes to our relationship with God, I believe that he wants us to do the same thing. He wants us to acknowledge, man, what is my motive? John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Isn't that funny? Why would he say that? Well, I don't want to lie to you. I hope not. You're Jesus. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. And I've seen charismatic circles take this to extents. And I think that sometimes it needs to be taken to this extent. And I don't want to get stuck here, but what are the greater works? We'll actually see in James chapter 5 what James believes is the greatest miracle of all. But I think that there's an example when Jesus' disciples come to him and they go, Jesus, did you know that even the demons are subject to us? I wish Jesus would have been like, no. Oh, really? You know? Like, yeah. but, but that's not what he does. He goes, basically, hey, as cool as that is, do not be impressed that the demons are subject to you, but that your name is written in the book of life because that's the greatest miracle. You wanna know what the greatest miracle was? What is the greater works than these? It was when Jesus had already ascended into the heavens and the 120 people did what he actually told them to do. And Peter stood with the 11 after being filled with the spirit, preached the gospel when he would not formally even admit that he knew Jesus was to a little girl outside of the courtyard of Pilate. Now he's standing in the pulpit of Pentecost and 3,000 people come to salvation in a day and the church is birthed across the Roman Empire. That's the greatest work that you would lead one person into his kingdom and he says you'll do that because I'm going to be with the father verse 13 you can ask for anything in my name well doesn't the bible say that you can ask for anything in my in his name and he'll do it yeah but there's a disclaimer because you cannot take a part of a verse 
out of the passage that the verse is placed in. The disclaimer is, I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Okay, I need to say something very carefully. Not passionately, but I need you to hone in. If somebody's asleep, just bump them. Tell them to go get some coffee. Now's your moment. They just released you. It concerns me when we begin to pray to other people and call it intercession. Because there's a very thin line between intercession and idolatry. And, and uh, hang on, because I, I don't want this to be the reason that you stop coming to church here. I'm just sharing a concern. I'm sharing a scriptural, a biblical, authoritative concern. Jesus said the Son can bring glory to the Father. If we pray to someone else and we give someone else credit and or glory for doing what only God and Jesus have the authority and should receive the glory to do. Are you with me? That is not intercession. It is not intercession to pray to somebody else to do something that only God can do and then give credit to somebody else for doing something that only God should receive the glory for. That's not intercession. That's idolatry. And Jesus came so that we could come to Him. So that the Son, the Son, the only one who deserves the glory, the honor, and the praise, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. So as for me and my, we're going to pray to Jesus, and Jesus is going to bring the glory. We're going to pray to Jesus, and Jesus is going to do or not do whatever Jesus wants to do or not do because he is the one who came and did for me. There's a difference. But I want to tell you before I move to the next point that some of the most defining moments of my life have been the most difficult seasons in my life. What's my motive? Am I just trying to get out of this? Am I just trying to get through this storm? Am I just trying to get to the other side of this sea? Do I just want to feel better? Do I just want to live better? Do I just want to have more? Man, if I could just get this, then I'd be able to this. Man, if I could just pay off this, then I, or if I had that, then I would feel better. If my car would run, if my car would stop leaking oil, man, if I had what they had, then I would feel better about what. Does our identity really come from the things that we possess? And or the title that we hold? What's my motive? I'm telling you some of the most defining moments of my life were discovered in the most difficult seasons of my life. What's my motive? Number two, am I ready? I'm talking about praying. I'm talking about having a conversation with God out of relationship. I think that's what James is addressing in this passage. Am I ready? I was in Chandler, Texas. It was lunch, so I closed my door. The office was locked. I didn't answer the phone. By the way, we still don't answer the phone at lunch. 
sorry. We like to eat too. So <laughs> the phone rang and I didn't answer. I was in my office. I didn't even go to lunch that day. Come on, hey, listen, if I'm not eating, there's something wrong, y'all. Okay, so I was, all my Cajun mama's like, that boy ain't lying, I seen him eat. I was like, I don't know how he fits in them pants. Anyways, all right, so I was in my office and I was praying and I was asking God, God, because I had so much in me. Like it was, like this and more was just like, you know, I was like bowling and, and I had so much ambition and then the opportunity was so limited. And if you serve Jesus for any season of time whatsoever, you're going to get there. You're going to have that stirring where you're like, okay, Lord, I feel it. Just show me. But are you ready? And I was praying and I was asking God, I need you to do this. And, I'm, and God, I, I was praying about this. And actually, you know what? I was just fussing God is basically what I was doing. I, I was telling him everything I thought he needed to do. And, and that for me was prayer in that moment. And, and I said, I need you to change this. And, and if you could change this, and if, if this could happen, and I was just letting him have it, it's just me and him, I think. <laughs> He'll be careful when you're yelling at God, your boss could come in while you're praying about him. Anyway, so, so <laughs> and I really wasn't praying about my pastor. I just thought that was funny. And I'm praying that God changed this. And I have never understood the phrase, my tongue cleaved to the roof of my mouth. Some of you have watched that old evangelist on TV, Mike Murdoch. And if this is for Mike Murdoch's gain, may my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. And I was like, hmm, tongue didn't cleave. That's impressive. All right, because so I thought for sure it was just for him. Anyways, his, the, to cleave the tongue is to not be able to speak any further, essentially. And I didn't understand that phrase until that moment. I'm praying. I was fussing. And, and my tongue... Like, it, it locked up, and I stopped. And I heard the Lord say, while I'm asking him to change all of these things, I heard the Lord say, Chris, would you just let me change you? I heard Pastor Susan Norton, spiritual mother of this house, say not too long after that, about a season that they were in, and she was interceding for her husband, and she heard the Lord say, Susan, I put you here for you. You're going through what you're going through because I want to work on you. I'm not going to remove this until you allow it to do what I want it to do. Am I ready for what I'm asking? Am I ready? Can I even handle that kind of promotion? Can I even handle that kind of prosperity? Can, can I even handle that position? Or do I still need to be prepared? Am I still in that season? Or am I stuck in this season because all I keep praying about is getting out of it instead of learning within it? Am I ready? I'm saying the same thing in a different way, but I... I feel like in regards to the glory of God, and I believe it's the grind. It's like shaving, all the guys can, can relate to this, well, most of you. Uh, it's like shaving against the grain. You, that's where you get the closest, right? The cleanest. Anybody can go with the flow. Let me say that anybody can obey initially. It's not hard to respond emotionally. 
It's hard to remain when the emotion goes away. It's hard to remain when the emotion is actually trying to pull you in the direction that you know you don't want to go because God already delivered you from that place. It's hard to remain. But you can't underestimate what God might want to do with somebody who is truly, fully surrendered to him and his will for their life because it is the grind that reveals the glory of God. It's the grind, come on, that begins to sand you down. I, I think, of, you ever been driving behind somebody and you just see sparks coming out from underneath their trailer? Come on, when, you, when that person gets parked and that chain, metal on pavement, the chain is hitting the road. By the time they get where they're going, metal, the, come on, the hardest of heart can be smooth like silk through the grind. If you're willing to go through the grind, God can reveal his glory. Paul, I believe, speaking to a church full of people that were going through the grind, he said this to the church in Philippi, chapter 4, verse 19. I'm reading from the NIV because of the preposition that is used, actually. My God, says Paul, will meet all your needs. And we have taken this and made it about finances and materialism. And selfish endeavors. Hey, no, no, no. My God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of His glory. So when you're praying, who are you talking to? What's your motive? Why are you asking? Am I ready? Is God going to get glory from this? My wife reminded me that I said this in first service and it's not in my notes. I have seen so many people go through the grind. I've seen so many people come to church and come back to church, like the bride of Christ, the body of Jesus. When they're going through difficult times, come on, September 11th caused the church of Jesus to be filled with the temples of God, which are the New Testament body of the believers for a week or two. I've seen so many people seek God in desperation in the most difficult seasons of their lives. And then I've prayed with them. We've ministered to them, our staff and, and our prayer team and, and leaders that don't even get paid, exceeding expectations. And God moves. Come on. God restores that relationship. He sends that spouse. He saves that child. He redeems that individual. And then, because God answered their request, they leave. They're gone. The desperation caused them to seek the divine. But as soon as they received what they wanted to receive, they walked away. And they just returned to normal. And they're worse off now than they were before they were praying for what they thought they needed. Am I ready? If God answers your request, are you going to continue to seek him in the same way? Are you just going to have a prayer visual once a year and call that remembering? Help me, Jesus. Come on, let it change you. Let it transform you. Am I ready? And then finally, because it's all about his glory. You know what? Let me read this scripture to you. Proverbs chapter 30, Solomon. He should know a little bit about 
riches. He was the richest man that ever existed in the world. His daddy gave a larger offering to build the house of God than any one man's net worth who is alive today. How much money did Solomon have? I don't know, but his daddy gave more money than anybody in the world has today just to build the temple. So he had a little bit. He's all right, you know, minus that divided heart thing. Minus that split of the kingdom of God thing. But he says in his proverb, chapter 30, verse 8, keep deception and lies from me. You know what? Give me neither poverty nor riches. That's weird that he would write that. But I think he knew what was going to happen. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full. Like, God, don't even, he said, God, don't even fill me to the brim. Like, just give me enough that I continue to stir. Just give me enough that I continue to hunger, not just barely show up on Sundays and call that faithfulness, but that I go all in for the sake of your kingdom. Don't let me be so full that I don't think I need to eat again until the next Saturday or Sunday. I don't want to be full and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal. Number three, final question. Lord, what's your will? When is the last time that you really asked? We talk about this in our parenting group. We should probably stop asking kids what they want to be when they grow up. I'm, I'm pretty sure we have developed just about enough narcissistic, self-imposed individuals in this society, don't you? Don't we have enough self-driven selfies floating around in society that we should probably stop teaching our children that life is all about them? Maybe it'll work somewhere else. Instead of saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? Why don't we begin to say, what do you believe God is calling you to do for him when you grow up? And then we spend the next 15 years helping our child discover who God created them to be. But you know why we're not doing it? Because we're not doing it. Lord, and what is your will for my life? We say this in our Freedom Conference, and thank God, man, I think three, we have over 300 people signed up for groups this semester. How cool is that? Now, if all 300, come on, all 300 show up, that's going to be really cool. So cool when you sign up, but you got to do that. It's the, anyways, it's okay. Just come now. It's not too late. It's not too late. 300 people. Signed up for groups. We got freedom groups. We have more freedom groups than we've ever had before. I am so excited about the conference that we have in November. The first session of that conference, I talk about the lordship of Jesus Christ. I only preach twice in the conference. I preach on the lordship of Jesus in the first session, and I preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the last session because that's still in the Bible, and so we have to preach those things. But in the first session, I say, you know, I know a lot of people that call Jesus Savior. I just don't know as many people that truly call him Lord. 
I know a lot of people that have asked Jesus to save them. I just don't know as many people that ask Jesus to lead them. And they're not willing to do or go or say anything that he doesn't lead them to do or go and say. And they are willing to lead, go, and say anything that he does. Lord, that's why I put that there. What is your will for me? How do I know? Well, Romans chapter 12 Verse two says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will know the good and perfect will of the Father. In fact, there are about seven more verses throughout the scriptures that you can just Google will of God. Jesus told us what the will of God was. Peter told us what the will of God was. Paul told us what the will of God was. We can know the will of God. We just got to get in the word of God. That's another sermon for another day, y'all. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm almost finished. This is my first closing. Lord, what's your will? I anoint my hands with oil and I lay them on the head of my child because I hate giving her medicine every day of her life. I pray to Jehovah Rapha to heal in the name of Jesus. I rebuke cancer in the name of Jesus because I serve the King over this body, soul, and spirit. I pray to the God that so desperately wants to raise up a generation and let his light shine through them. That he would train our people to become leaders in Acadiana. And that the light of God would shine through the leadership of the followers of Jesus. I pray that leaders would be raised up for such a time as this. I pray to our heavenly Father who owns a cattle on a thousand hill, the hill and the minerals underneath. Lord, we got some stuff to pay for. Sell a cow in the name of Jesus and send it to New Hope. But you know what's going to happen when we pay all these buildings off and have all this stuff built? God's going to give us more vision. God's going to give us more ministries. He's going to spread us out and stretch us in other places, and he's not going to let us stop until every soul in this area is one for the sake of the kingdom of God. We still have work to do. But I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, God, restore this marriage. God, save this prodigal son. Lord, let them come back to church. God, let them get this promotion. God, show them what you want them to do with their lives. God, grant them this job. Move in their situation. God, take them through this storm. Reveal yourself in this place. I'm going to pray those things. I'm going to pray like God can do anything. But God, help me. I'm going to stay in Christ no matter what he does. Pray. But stay. Don't be satisfied with just getting through the season or having your request answered. 
James chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. I think James just addressed the American dream. I think James just exposed the rags to riches stories. And I'm not against them. I'm not against us having nice things. As long as our priorities are in line. It says, do not say that that's what you're going to do. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? What if there's a 9-12? Never forget. Oh, never forget. Hashtag. Hey, look, just because you put it on social media doesn't mean you're letting it affect your spirit. What is your life? Would you gave your life to Jesus for a month? <laughs> Come on. Well, I used to. Guys, if you live off of yesterday's revelation, you're missing out on tomorrow's fulfillment. What is your life? For you are a mist, you're a vapor. It appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or we will do that. If it's God's will. So I'm so careful to say, hey man, we'll be there. God help me. I've been faithful to one woman for 14 years. I'm going to make it in Jesus' name. God help me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get that done, Lord willing. Man, great message today. Oh, man, that was powerful. Praise God. Can't believe what God's doing in Eunice. Me either. He's not done. Because weeds grow overnight. I missed this part earlier. Have you ever seen a 200-year-old weed? I'm talking about the same one. I'm not talking about pot that's been growing for 200 years either. I went to a memorial service a few weeks ago. It was out towards Chitania. I've been working on that for six years. Some of y'all don't even care. Come on, somebody. Pulled up in the middle of this cemetery is this giant oak huge i mean you you'd have to get 10 people to wrap your arms around this thing it was so big it had split into two trees from one base did you know that thing started from an acorn because weeds grow overnight but oaks endure it's an acorn that was planted in the ground. Did you know that before the acorn shows any productivity above the surface, it develops roots below the surface? Oh, that'll preach. Before you ever see a leaf sprout above the ground, the acorn develops a taproot. And the oak begins to grow because of the taproot. 
you can't outgrow your root system. You got to keep up. Well, I've dug before. Then you got to keep digging. Well, I used to produce the fruit. Then you're in winter and you're developing new roots right now. Did you know the oak tree is the live oak? Not them pin oaks, man, them things fall on houses. We lost eight of those stupid things in one hurricane. But those live oaks, one of the few trees that their root system actually expands out larger and further than their branches. Oh God, give this church a root system. Give the people in this place a root system under the surface that expands even further than the branches and the fruit that people can see. Let us be even stronger on the inside than what people can see on the outside. Why is it so important that I, if the Lord wills, why does that matter? I'm closing. James 4 verse 6, really, for real this time. He gives grace generously. Hang on, hang on, because I'm about to mess with some people's theology. Did you know that God doesn't give grace to everybody? It's really important. He will give grace to anybody, but he doesn't give grace to everybody. There were two thieves on the cross, you remember? One of them got grace. The other one, not so much. And I thank God for the grace that no matter what I've done or where I am, if I call out to him, come on, he told that thief, this day you will walk with me in paradise. Lucky joker, he didn't even have to go through nothing else. Wouldn't that be cool? Lord, forgive me and save me. Yeah! Lord, forgive me and save me. See, if you're still here, it means he's not done with you. If you're still here, he's got some more people that he wants to see you have an eternal impact on. If you're still here, it's because God still has some glory that he wants to get in you because there's still some glory that he wants to get through you because God gives grace generously as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud. I was joking yesterday. I have never really been known for my humility. I know some of you are shocked. It's okay. Nobody's ever gone, man, that Chris Fry, you know, he's really humble. He's kind of insecure, you know, doesn't really know about himself, but he, if God ever fixes that. So maybe that's why this humility thing stands out to me. Maybe that's why we go through the wilderness that we go through. Maybe that's why God takes everything that you think is important and holds it until you're ready for it. Because he opposes the proud. Oh, come on, it's so good. He gives grace to the humble. Verse seven says, so humble yourselves before God, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Oh, help me, Lord. 
Verse 8. Come close. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Do, you. do you know you could have read this to yourself this week and been encouraged? You didn't have to wait until Sunday to hear this scripture. You carry it around in your pocket all day long. Wash your hands. Man, James, can you just finish one sentence without... Those of you who fall short of God's glory, you sinners, wash your hands. Come on, verse 8. Purify your hearts. Don't be like Solomon who had everything the world had to offer, but he had divided loyalty within his heart that ended up creeping into his house that ended up affecting the entire kingdom. No, let the tears be shed for what you have done. Let there be sorrow, verse 9. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. In other words, come to God and repent before 9-11. Come to God and repent before March of 2020. Come to God and repent before you have to because you don't have any other choice. Best verse. Right in the middle. By the way, the sermon title today is Grace for the Humble. And I'm, I'm telling you, I want you to take this with you because I believe in my heart today that God wants to give a special measure of grace to some specific people today who are going through some things that other people are not going through. I believe in my heart as I was praying this morning for this service, I believe that there are some people in this room who have hardened themselves before God and today is the day that God wants you to soften yourself again and humble yourselves. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord because God resists the proud. Oh, but he gives grace. I am a product of nothing more than the grace of God. My bride and my babies and this church and what God's doing in this community, it is just simply a product of the grace of God being poured out gener generously among the people connected to this place. Jesus said in Matthew, and I'm gonna pray over you, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So one more time, I want you to look at the scripture. I wanna leave you with this one. So humble yourselves before the Lord. Because when you do that, for his glory, he will. This is a biblical promise tucked in the middle of James chapter four. He will lift you up in honor.